Good morning. It's certainly a great joy to be here at Pine Haven Presbyterian Church. Incidentally, well, I don't like the word incidentally, I say providentially, of last month, I was on my way to Denver from Colorado Springs. There's where the sizable Arab and Muslim community in the Denver Aurora area. And usually when I travel, I like to spend my time listening to good preaching. And it's been a long time since I heard sermon from Pine Haven Presbyterian Church. So I went to YouTube. And there was, I think, between Easter and uh, the uh, triumphant entry. And there was Pastor Allen preaching one of the most powerful sermons. The promised Messiah. The humble Messiah. And the divine Messiah. Now this become my points, my brother. I can't preach it anywhere now. I was touched by it, the faithful exposition of the Word of God. When I arrived to Denver, actually it was a week before Easter, and I have a meeting with two of my dear uh, Arab friends, and I did share with them part of that sermon, and that's what it's all about, Christ, the one who died for us, promised and the Bible rose again and coming back in the glory to redeem his people. So coming back from my meeting, I said, let me continue to be blessed. And I was listening to your evening service. And there I was almost surprised, if not shocked, I heard my name. And I said, what did I do this time? One of your elders been praying for us by name, for our ministry, for the children of Abraham. And for that, we are very, very grateful. From the very beginning, you've been with us in support and in prayer. God is doing things that we do not imagine, even in the midst of the chaos in the Middle East, Ukraine. Actually, I just canceled a trip uh, going to Poland, and to meet with some refugees, and participate in a missions conference. And I have heard some of the evangelical churches in Poland, what they are doing among the Ukrainians. God bringing his own to himself. And you are part of this wonderful divine enterprise. Be encouraged. When Alan asked me, what is the title of your sermon? I gave this title. Christianity in a nutshell might take the whole two years to cover this, but it is none of my business. It was the Apostle Paul who gave this title, the gospel in a nutshell. God is doing through that gospel ministry, as we will see in a moment, because it is the power of God. So we are Encouraged. He's building his kingdom. And the power of Hades will not prevail against it. I know that you have a high, serious 
regard to the living word of the living God, let me ask you to stand as I read these two verses. Let's stand if you are able. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is a man that I'll never say thank you to God for him. Uh, this is the man who came to my city to visit us in Damascus. Last time I was walking with my father who went to glory at 97 years old and he said, son, stop here. And we've been looking at the Damascus wall by the street called Street called Straight. That was the almost we know from the tradition and was the only highway leading from Jerusalem to Damascus. And he said, look at that. It was the place where he decided to go to Damascus to conquer it, to conquer the church of the living Christ. And he was lit in a basket and he said, look how he escaped from Damascus. It spoke to me. The more I thought of that scene, here is a man who went to conquer the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, was terrified for his life, lit in a basket, and this, the same man, changed the whole history of humanity. That's the power of the gospel. Let's look some of the wonderful ideas and the unique distinctive of the Christian gospel that this man gave to us through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. And verse 15 said, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Eager to preach the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome, and he knew exactly what Rome is all about. He knew exactly that there is somebody in Rome who is a savage wolf by the name of Nero, so that he holds all the power on the planet, and he wants to go to that city to encourage his brothers and sisters. In these two verses here, uh, probably some of your Bibles were titled, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith, or perhaps The Just Lives by Faith. I like our Arabic study Bible and how we title that. Al-Mutabarriru bil-Imani Yahya. Probably you don't uh, understand exactly the meaning of it, but it's wonderful. It is that passive construct of this title. I mean, there's something happened to you that is outside of yourself. 
That act of justification is none of your business. It is by the grace of God. That's what the reformer said. This is the extra news outside of ourselves. That is really the nutshell of the gospel. It is the almighty God. By his love and grace and mercy. We do such things as we will see in a moment how the Apostle Paul unpacked this wonderful truth. I'm just amazed how he used the word, this personal pronoun, I am. And he said, I am. And a familiar word here in verse 15 and 16 and and 17. And he uses that personal, I am, which really simply means To be or not to be, that is the question. I am. This become the maxim of our culture today. That ego, that self-enrichment, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-success become the rule of the day. Paul said, I am. Look how he used it. Verse 15 and 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Then he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is not my gospel. It is not the gospel of Martin Luther or St. Augustine or the Apostle Paul. And in that sense, it is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of God. And you read from verse 1 to the end of verse 7. And he invoked the Trinity. The gospel of God, the source of the gospel is God himself. And if I can use this literation, the course of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the force of the gospel is God the Holy Spirit. And he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. What humbling also. Look who's talking here. Look at this man. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 29, he was posting about the privileges that he, he received from God. Look what he did. He said, five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the radical nature of the gospel of God. When God calls you, 
from my own little tiny experience. When I was on my way to Kiev, Russia, well, Ukraine now, and God called me to the ministry. I thought, I'm coming to the promised land, United States of America. It was a nightmare till a few years ago. One thing after the other. It was God who's taking me in the crucible of fire. And many times I said, is that the calling of God? When God calls, he calls us to Christianity in a nutshell. The gospel itself might cost us something. But he taught me the lesson that I'll never forget till I see his face again. Faithful the one who called you and he will do it through you. And the apostle Paul understood that you want to identify with the power of the gospel that comes through death to self. The radical nature of the gospel, one of my favorite hobbies at home is to watch documentaries and history. And I call every one of you to go back to history. We are people who are not very much fascinated with the history. We have a very fascinating, great history in this nation. It's a short one, but very fascinating. And sometimes we repeat the mistakes of history because we are not committed to the providences of God throughout. One of those uh, documentaries, I was uh, I read something about Nabilion Ponabart when he, I think, invaded Egypt. And usually he goes and have his rounds to check on his soldier. One soldier, at, he was sleeping at his post. While Nabilion riding his horse, he looked at him and he was furious. Shouted him, soldier, what is your name? And that terrified soldier, he woke up and he said, my, my name is Napoleon, sir. What is your name? And then he looked at him. He said, soldier, either you change your name or change your conduct. And I wonder, those Christians in Antioch, where they called little Christ, Christians, that's what it means, little Christ. And look what God has done through them. The apostle Paul is a man, his name was Shaul of Tarsus. When he met Christ, he became Paul of Damascus. And because of that, we have Pine Haven Presbyterian Church here today. I believe in the providences of God. The apostle to the Gentiles who believed in the power of the gospel. Then Saul in Acts 13, 9, who was also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Christianity in a nutshell, die to yourself. The last shall be first. Carry your cross and follow me. The French philosopher Pascal summarized the difference between Christianity and Islam in one sentence. 
He said the founder of Islam chose the way of success, the way of conquering his enemies, the way of al-futuhat, the opening in the Arabic language, to conquer your enemies. And then he said Christ chose the way of brokenness, the way of the cross, the way that mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, the Kenosis passage, he emptied himself from his glory. He humbled himself. He washed our own feet, so to speak. Literally, he gave himself for a goal that is even higher than himself, the divine son of the living God, to please the Father, to bring us to the fold. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Gospel. Why? He tells us. Because it is the power of God for salvation. I love this shamelessness in the Apostle Paul. I found some Christians shame, you know, ashamed to even pray over their meal in the restaurant. The power of the gospel. In the Middle East, you know, when it is one of the uh, most insults, you can call anyone to call him or call her shameless. It just describes indecency, kind of rudeness, and it goes against the norms of the society. Paul, when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he said, I know it is the power of God that changed me and will it change the world. How can I be ashamed of the gospel of God? You know, I hear some preacher when they say the gospel is... The power of God taken from the Greek word dynamite or dynamis. Dynamis is destructive power. That is the idea in our mind. Not realizing it is the power of God for salvation. One time I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, preaching even before coming to RTS. And the pastor was sitting next to me. He said, in our church here, we have about six or seven PhD in physics. I said, that doesn't intimidate me. That's fine. Well, those Christian brothers and sisters, they gave their life for the gospel. Eating lunch with one of them. I told him, tell me about uh, this Manhattan project I read about even when I was in Syria. And he smiled and I said, uh, what, was the greatest, what was the greatest fear that you were afraid of as, you know, they were testing the atomic bomb? You see, the greatest fear at that moment was they were almost terrified that at the moment of denotation of that atomic bomb, they will create some kind of, of reaction in the atmosphere might destroy the whole atmosphere of the planet. That capricious power, it's not a power what we are talking about here. Not the power of Allah of Islam, that he can invent a new attribute in order to keep us fearful of him. The power of the gospel is the power of salvation is the power of grace is the power of the living power that changed the life of 
Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and he became Paul of Damascus. It is the power of God for salvation. Romans 8, 1, one of my favorite, perhaps one of your favorite verses. There, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no damnation, no judgment. How can this be? After all, my God is a holy God. And if he does not execute his judgment, I will not even believe in his justice. He must give me what I deserve. And all of a sudden here, the Apostle Paul, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is happening here? Well, imagine yourself in a courtroom. The most high God. You enter the courtroom. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Deserve his sword of justice. God will look at you. And there is your lawyer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will say, Father... That's mine. I have paid for his salvation. Was the most amazing thing. The judge, the heavenly judge, will not tell you, okay, you are free at last. Your lawyer has presented you, and now you won. Leave my courtroom. You are free. That's not what happened. He will say, come, come to me. I don't see you any longer. Like a spider held in the hand of an angry God. You know that sermon of Jonathan Edwards. No longer spider. Deserve the death of hell. He will look upon you like a segula, like a pressure Russia's possession in his hand, robed with the righteousness of a Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I cannot even imagine it. Why some in our day will call the gospel. When you preach the gospel, they will call it hate to pre- uh, speech. Is this hate speech? Where the almighty God, the creator, will call you to himself? That's what the gospel is. And that's what the gospel does. And then third point here in Romans 5.8. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because his love for the lost compels him to share it. Listen to these words. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't see that. I hate the speech. And I wonder if we hate the opportunity, if we lost the opportunity to articulate 
what the gospel is, what the gospel does. I don't think it is too late in our culture today. So be encouraged. And it started with us right here. I pray my next time I come to Pine Haven, Presbyterian Church, all this will be full. There is a mission field waiting for us. The beautiful Clinton is getting growing by the day. So there's a mission field for us. Yes, the gospel confronts our sins. The Apostle Paul clearly said that in chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, actually to 320. He said, it demands a change of life. It comes a point when the gospel confronts our sins, and if we don't respond, God will give us over to the lust of the flesh. But God always warns people. And he wants to go to Rome because he knows what is waiting for him. Nero, you think you are the emperor of the, all the powers. I am coming to show you what the power is and where it lies. It is in the gospel. The gospel of God's power before because it will destroy the kingdom of Satan. It will destroy the kingdom of Satan. Listen to this word in Galatians 2, 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, that's Paul is talking here, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Then I want you to listen what Peter said about Paul. In 2 Peter 3, 13 and 15, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. The power of the gospel will ultimately, and it will surely destroy the kingdom of Satan and darkness. You see, we see, we see things from eternal perspective, don't we? That's who we are. It's one of the wonderful things. And I was blessed by the announcement. By, you know, even in the midst of life, most severe and testing times. We can see the grace of God at work among God's flock. But one thing sometimes is lacking. When we face life testing times. We just say, we hope one day I'm going to see his face. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. That's not Christianity. The hope of the future, it comes in touch with our experiences today. And here's what 
Peter is saying it will be destroyed. That's Christianity. That's the power of the gospel. It is not subjective feeling. Hopefully one day this will be over. But the one who died and resurrected again, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is an experience we experience at this moment. That's the gospel. I really feel terrible. Sometimes when I speak with my Muslim friends, I see them just engage in this rigorous acts of piety and religious practices, trying to appease the voice of their nagging conscience. How I can appease my Allah? Hope, inshallah, that is the word at their tongue all the time. May Allah willing. Well, let me show you my God. That's not only promise me paradise. Not only promise me one day I will see the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is in you the hope of the future. It is a reality. And the Apostle Paul here he knew that very, very well. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And finally, I didn't see clock here. Thank God for that. How many minutes I have, my brother? Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I hope and I pray that when you'll go home, that you will read Habakkuk, three chapters, and see the background to this wonderful, wonderful maxim that is already ours. The righteous shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul is borrowing from Habakkuk. And the context was when these Chaldeans with the North Iraqis, they're still today, North Syria, North Iraq, when they invaded Jerusalem, the most brutal invaders you'll see any time, at least at that era of history. And here's Habakkuk said, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you? Violence, you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction, violence are before me. There is a strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I love it. He's like you and I. Asking God honest, tough questions. I am so glad that he did ask these questions. Why? 
Because that's what we're going to see what God's answer is. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets. So nobody will even miss it. It's like the Ten Commandments. I don't want the Apostle Paul to miss it. I don't want anyone even in this church will miss it. And God said, Behold his soul, that is the enemies of God. Those are the ones persecuted the Jews during the time. God's people is buffed up. It is not upright within him. Then he said, but the righteous shall live by faith. That's Christianity in a nutshell. Remember who called that? The reason providentially we worship here, as I said before, because of this man, Luther, when he was a monk in Germany, was disputing that monastery, and they sent him with a delegation to go to Rome to, so hopefully the Pope will solve the problem. And he walked in that winter cold day on foot, And when he saw Rome before his eyes, he was unable to contain himself. Oh, holy church of God. In the magnificent culture, the Roman Catholic church, till he went inside of Rome. He saw the riches, the, the lifestyle, of the popes, of the church leaders, and the poor around him, he realized for the first time, perhaps, what the great philosopher of the Roman philosopher Seneca said. Roman is a cesspool of iniquity. And yet when he went there and he did what he's supposed to do, I guess, the Roman Catholic Church during the time, they, they said or they claimed they brought these 28 steps from Jerusalem into Rome made of marbles. That is where they said the Lord Jesus Christ took as he faced Pontius Pilate. And they said, if you take these steps one after the other, why are you you're reciting the Lord's Prayer? The paternoster, they call it. And if you pay the right amount of money, you might be able to release one of your relatives in, from purgatory. And Martin Luther wanted to do that for his grandfather. Why he's doing this? He thought that is, he heard a voice, he cried at the bottom of his heart, one of the Historical narrative said, the just shall live by faith. That was the spark of the Reformation. Acts 15, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Go back, practice Judaism. Go back, 
practice what the popes are saying to you. The Apostle Paul was facing hundreds of popes, those Judaizers. They understood what at stake here, whether it is the gospel of God or the gospel of men. Paul and Barnabas were alarmed because what at stake here is the very work of Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with a couple things. This is the chapter of my conversion, Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul starts with very harsh words against the Judaizers, called them Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who are mutilators of the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Then look what he said. Though I have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Then he gave his resume, so to speak, as a Pharisee, what he has done for the, the sake of the law of Moses, even persecuting the church. And here in verse 10, that is my life conversion verse, and I might say my commission as well. I want to know Christ, yes, to know him and the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That is all because for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One application. When I was in Syria, I was reading this philosophical book and or essay about Hegel, you know, that, that German philosopher who invented the philosophical dialectic when he said, you have to start with, with your thesis, with a statement to illustrate what you want to discuss. And as a young man in college, I was obsessed with reading different philosophies. Then he said, you have to come up with your antithesis, something to go against the dialogue with your thesis, so you can arrive to your synthesis. And that's what really paved the way for Marxism. The problem is, Hegel never gave credit where the credit is due. All this is done in the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. You know, chapter 1, 1 to 17, this is the thesis, this is the gospel. Then 18 to 320, the antithesis, the dark side of humanity goes against the gospel. Then 321, to all the end of Romans, he gives the synthesis. What the gospel is 
and what the gospel does. Chapter 1 to 11, this wonderful truth about God, about his gospel. Then in chapter 11, 33 and 36, I want to read these. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for he who has known for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever more amen you see truth, you see theology, chapter 1 to the end of chapter 11, and as if he is on his face prostrating before God, worshiping him for the truth. Truth leads to worship. But here is the fascinating thing. Then he said one more thing is I want you not to miss. In chapter 12, to 16, he said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body, your summa, who you are, as a living sacrifice. One of the greatest liabilities I found in my experience, and I think all men and women, when you leave your home in the morning, go to your workplace, your job, you will take your body with you. Now, isn't that fascinating? And he said, I wanted to present that body because our bodies can be great liabilities. You take your eyes, your hands, and your feet. What you do with your eyes, what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet can make or break your relationship with God. And it is happening all the time where we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one. Dead one in the Old Testament stays there, does not move, but the living sacrifice have tendency to move away from the altar of God. Because the gospel is the power of God. You know, the Muslim friends don't have even a clue what the gospel is nor a clue what the gospel does. One of the wonderful things about our God, that is a God is in total harmony with his nature. All his attributes in total harmony. He's the God of love and grace, but he's a God of holiness. He does not change his laws as he goes. But the God of holiness, the God who's supposed to give us damnation and judgment said, you are mine. Present your life as a holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we love it and live it and pass it on. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you.
We thank you for the gospel written down for us, but much more we are thankful for the incarnate gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life that we might gain it. May we all say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I pray that you will give us a special measure of your grace to love you with all our hearts, mind, and soul. And we thank you again that you reminded us that we are not alone. For your power is to save us, to go with us, to empower us that we might take the wonderful good news to all those who are around us. Bless us, for we pray this in Christ's matchless name. Amen.